What is up, good people? Welcome to Music Mostly, the podcast where we celebrate the music that is important to us. Thank you so much for joining us. First and foremost, we like to give a giant shout out to the very good people in the service and hospitality industries. Usually, this is the place where I rant at the customers, but this week, I just want to give a heartfelt thank you to all of you good people out there getting it done. We appreciate you so much. Now, customers, please mask up, tip like a rock star, and don't be a dick. Also, get on that phone and order from your local place. They need the business. If you have the means to outsource your meal production a couple times a week, it is a very lovely way to pay it forward. It's time to talk about music. It's time to talk about life. I am your host, my name is Will Olson, and I am ecstatic to be joined by my good friend and regional icon, Mr. James the Badger Scott. <laughs> no, Hello, no. Jimbo. <laughs> oh, I really hope that, that sticks. <laughs> and we are, we are joined by audio engineer, jingle master, and forest moon of Endor tour guide, Mr. Brian Gardner. How are you, Brian? Oh, great. Thank you for recognizing my new uh, endeavor. Oh, and we are all very excited to welcome back to the show... My third favorite person in the whole world, my baby brother. Give it up for Mr. Peter Matthew Olson. What is up, good people? How are you, Pete Dog? I am phenomenal. Excited to be back hanging out with the Badger. <laughs> <laughs> I had to keep up with you because you're Pete Dog. I was like, Pete Dog, I'm the Badger. Uh, Jimmy B. All right. Uh, all right, before we get going, I would like to remind you that we tweet the playlist to our shows a few days before the episode drops, so you have a chance to listen to the music that we will be talking about today. Follow us on Twitter at MusicMostlyPod. All right, now guys, I want to take a minute or two to bask in the glory that is the Reuben sandwich. We've all had one. The glorious, mind-boggling combination of corned beef, Swiss cheese, sauerkraut, and Thousand Island dressing on rye, or more preferably pumpernickel rye. It's typically grilled and served hot, and it is fucking delicious. As with most iconic food items, mm -hmm. there are conflicting origin stories about the Reuben sandwich. I'm going to highlight one of them, and in a minute you'll know why. It goes something like this. Sometime in the 1920s, a Jewish-Lithuanian grocer in Omaha, Nebraska, named Reuben Kulikovsky asked during his weekly poker game at the Blackstone Hotel for a sandwich of corned beef and pastrami. The owner of the hotel, a Charles Schimmel, was part of the poker crew, and his son worked in the kitchen. The son added Swiss cheese and Thousand Island dressing to the order and slapped it all on rye bread. Poof! The Reuben was born. The sandwich gained local notoriety when Schimmel put it on the lunch menu at the Blackstone Hotel. It would go on to further fame when a former hotel employee, Fern Snyder, submitted the recipe to a national sandwich contest in 1956 and won. In 2013, the citizens of Omaha took it a step further by proclaiming March 14th officially Reuben Day. 
What is it about the Reuben sandwich that makes it so special? When I do the math in my head, I think it is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Think about the ingredients. Corned beef is fine, but it ain't smoked turkey or London broil. Swiss cheese is good, but extra sharp cheddar, it is not. The odd combination of ketchup, mayo, and relish that is Thousand Island dressing is certainly no buttermilk ranch. Rye is typically not the first choice of sandwich bread, and sauerkraut is an acquired taste at best. But, much like Captain Planet, by their powers combined, the finished product is amazing. Each ingredient brings its own spice to the party, and without all of them, the sandwich falls flat. The Reuben sandwich reminds me of another Omaha quintet. 20 years before Omaha had a Reuben day, five friends from that town released their debut album to the world. 311's first full-length album, Music, would help lay the framework for the fusion of rap and rock that was so popular in the 90s. This album, like brown paper packages tied up in strings, is absolutely one of my favorite things, and I am so stoked to talk about it tonight. But before we get to that, Pete Dog, what have you been listening to? Uh, so I've been on a, a deep journey of sort of synth pop 80s music. Um, nice. Alphaville, I've been listening to a lot of <laughs> When You're Big in Japan, which uh, my wife is uh, somewhat, her, her jaw drops that I play this music with my children. So they're going to have a deep appreciation of synthetic <laughs> 80s music as they get older. As they should. It's, uh, it's very important. It's the, fa- it's the foundation of being a great human, in my opinion. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Badger, how about you? Um, I have been, I, I, I don't know, I, don't, I hope that doesn't stick. I'm going to hear it out loud. Um, I, was, I was just making a little joke. I, I was actually, uh, I, was, I went down a rabbit hole yesterday and today. That's what Badgers uh, do. Uh, looking for, <laughs> listening to the multitudes and multitudes on YouTube of Bjork covers. People cover oh Bjork. Oh, my God. And, there's so many. One that really stands out is this band called uh, Beta State, um, and they do they do a cover of the song "Unravel," which is on I believe it's on Homogenic. No, yeah, Homogenic. It's one with all the strings. Yeah. Anyways, they do a, they do a cover of that, which is just outstanding. Now I listen to some of their other stuff, and it's good, but it's not as good as this cover. They really nailed it. And this nice. guy's voice is so perfect for it. It's it's really cool. Um, yeah, that's it. Your covers. Brian, how about you? A lot of uh, West Coast uh, garage surf punk stuff as I often go down that road. Um, the OCs, Ty Siegel, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. A <laughs> uh, lot of stuff. A lot of different stuff, but all in that realm. You know, what's kind, of, what's kind of interesting is that, you know, being a huge fan of the podcast, sometimes the music that you guys are listening to causes you to listen to other music. And I feel like we all kind of went to our own comfort zones, like 311 music brought us to some of the other music that we feel most comfortable with. So, Will, what have you been listening to this week? I actually, I've, I have not listened to like any, any music this week. I've, I've been in Mac school. Uh, it was like super intense, uh, and I was helping our mom move, and, and I, I did not have time to like really listen to anything. I listened to this album a couple times, and I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't think I listened to uh, Rasta Man Vibration again. Um, Always good. And 
yeah, that was that was it. Like I, just yeah, I had a really really good time doing that episode. That was and and preparing for it. That was great. That was great, indeed. Um, but yeah, well, we're out of time. No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna go on a quick break, <laughs> <laughs> and when we come back, we are gonna talk about 311 music. And I'm so excited about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking about music by 311 this week. This album was released on February 9th, 1993, recorded at Ocean Studios in Burbank, California, produced by Eddie Offord. Uh, he was famous for producing uh, several albums by Yes and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Rumor has it that... Frog stuff. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this was some of the last stuff that he produced. He produced their first two records, and they were like the last two records that he did. Well, rumor has it that he was waiting for them in their driveway when they first moved to California. He said something like, I'm Eddie Offord and I want to produce your record. Um, Scott Scotch Ralston is listed as the assistant engineer, but I thought it was interesting because he's involved in pretty much all of their records and he produced Transistor, Sound System, Stereolithic, and select tracks on Mosaic and Voyager, their two latest releases. Hmm. So he's nice. just been with them for, like, ever. Well, that's a pretty big uh, jump from assistant engineer to producer. So so he would have produced, if he produced Transistor, then that would have been the album after the Blue album, so their fourth proper studio album, hmm. um, which means they tapped him after they blew up, and they probably were... When they went to record Transistor, that was probably the most leverage they ever had with a record company going into a studio. <laughs> right. Um, so, and they picked him. Uh, they officially released five singles. Uh, the songs Freak Out, Do You Right, Visit, My Stony Baby, and Feel So Good. My Stony Baby was featured in Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> uh, which I thought was funny. Um, Songwriting credits uh, to the individuals. So uh, frontman Nick Hexum has the first credit on all the songs, with drummer Chad Sexton receiving the second credit for the music on most of the others. Vocalist S.A. Martinez is credited for his lyrics on all songs, and then guitarist Tim Mahoney and bassist Peanut are credited on a couple of tracks. Uh, and John Oliver recently called them the Beatles of rap rock, which I also thought was interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how ag I don't know That's kind of A great summation And a terrible summation All at the same time Yeah Because um, I wouldn't consider them Rap rock I, I wouldn't either Because of, of a lot The harmonies are so good Vocal harmonies And there's a lot of singing And it's And it's And it's uh, And it's way more like Reggae to me Than anything But, but Yeah Ska and reggae Yeah Ska, reggae Dance hall I mean their Their influences Are all over the place uh, and it, sh it shows on, on this record. Now, I, I feel like like most bands' first records, these tracks were written over the course of several years as they were putting out EPs and putting out demos and working on stuff and touring, at, you know, and then they get to the studio and they, they write their first record, which is, is why, to me, it sounds cohesive, but, but not as much as some of their later records, which, which sound like, like they wrote a bunch of songs for that record. This sounds a little bit more hodgepodge, but not not necessarily in a bad way. I don't know if you guys heard it that way or not. Yeah, I was uh, Nick Hexum did an interview when he was talking 
that they were influenced by what they were listening to on the radio at that time. And uh, he cited three big things. He said English music, the police, and English beat. And I was like, okay, well, those, those rock. So yeah. they were listening to college radio at the time, which was The Cure and the Smiths, which is also awesome. And then they were in L.A., and so Fishbone and Jane's Addiction. Okay, yeah. Sure. Uh, that all, yeah, if you kind of, I can see where all that filters into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's I something, There's something very, there's also, in addition to all those terms that get thrown out, um, there's, I mean, like, you know, rap rock. Uh, yeah, I hear the reggae, I hear the ska. There's something a little bit... Um, uh, jazzy about it. Mm -hmm. A lot of the progressions, a lot of major seventh chords. Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's also, and like somebody is a schooled musician in this band. Okay, so interestingly, uh, Tim Mahoney and Nick Hexum and Chad Sexton, the two guitarists and the drummer, all played in uh, a jazz combo in their high school together. Okay. Yeah. Well, that so, was part of what I wanted I was, to touch on. I think on. I was going to say is the jam band aspect of it. Um, there's something very jam bandy about it. Um, in its in its own way, um, and it's and I think it's the combination of that little bit of jazz thrown. It's 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 because there are all these elements coming together that it it falls for me into that category a little bit. Brian, what were you gonna say? Sorry, something. I'm sorry that I don't remember. They don't call him the best color man in the business for nothing, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I'll just hang it up. That's my career, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned the jam band uh, stuff because their guitarist, Tim Mahoney, is like the hippie of the group. And I remember reading interviews. And so for full disclosure, like in the mid-90s, I, I, I was a super fan of this group. And um, I remember reading an interview with him. And they said, like, what's your goal? Like, what, what, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, what, how, how do you see this ending in, in your dream scenario? And, and he was like... He was like, you know, like just like the Grateful Dead, I'd love to just still be touring and playing shows in 30 years. That'd be amazing. They're, they'd be like those guys. That's yeah. that's what they are. Well, they kind of are. They're uh, they are still playing, putting out tour music and touring. I mean, nobody's playing shows right now, but well, they're they're going to be at Darien Lake this summer. <laughs> I know they have a cruise. We I was going to say, let's all save our money yeah, and go cruise. on that fucking two thousand dollar cruise each. You'll never get me on a cruise, so I don't oh, care. Oh, dude, it's so much fun. Are you kidding me? A three eleven cruise? That'd be so good. Oh, it's a floating man. toilet. The dude, buffets alone. <laughs> Constant buffets. The uh, they did no more buffets. That's how you get COVID. You, you ask yourself how many shrimp you can eat, and then double that, <laughs> and, then, and then double it again, and see if you can. Oh man! And how many how many days you can spend in the toilet from norovirus? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, okay, so here's what I want to do. So, for me and my brother, this is a huge album for us personally. So what I'd like to do is for Jimbo and Brian just kind of talk about just kind of your overall reaction to the album, like, because it's not such a personal album for you. It's hard for me and my brother, Pete Dog to be objective about this album. So I'd love to get, like, an objective opinion from you first before we move forward. Jimbo, you go first. Okay. Um, the one thing that I, that I always forget about before, when I walk away from this album and come back to it, um, uh, is, is that um, I always forget the... Their, the a lot of the fills um, snap off the grid a little bit. These moments in between their riffs, 
and a lot of the fills, they're always syncopated or they're just a lot of just feel. And they do it so tightly that you feel like it's still this machine that's moving forward. Even though it's very, very human. Um, and I, that's the thing that really stands out to me every time is, is the stuff, these really tight fills and sort of segues from section to section. Um, it's just, the songwriting is great. Yes, the harmonies I fall in love with every time I listen to it. Guitar playing is great. The wall of sound is great. But it's all about syncopation and, and stepping away from that main groove. Uh, and, and But still, rock solid. Rock solid. Never, never. And, and also a little bit of intentional um, time signature and also uh, time signature changes and also tempo changes from time to time that are done just in such a, an awesome way. It still feels like, a, like a, a really strong force wall of sound, but they're able to do it so tightly that it's, 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 it's just so impressive. Uh, Brian, before we get to you, Jimbo, for, for our listeners and possibly hosts who might not know, what does syncopation mean? It means, it could mean a lot of different things, but um, in, in this case, if you're talking about a straight beat, and then suddenly, um, if listeners, if you have listened to our first season, you'll remember that we did an, an episode about New Jack Swing, and we discussed what uh, what a swing is. And basically, it's a subdivision of beats. So if you have and you change it to So let's say your beat is a without those triplets. Right. And then all of a sudden, you put the triplets in instead. Um, uh, that would be syncopation. Okay. Because now you're playing tri triplets over a straight beat instead okay. of uh, straight sixteenth notes. Gotcha. Uh, Brian, do you have anything? Uh, what are your overall reactions to the record? Well, this one is cool in the way that I mean, I my three eleven experience is more between like grassroots and transistor. And I definitely had heard this record, but it was never as much on the radar just at the time. So now listening back to it, like, it's one of those things where I guess you can say 311 had a, their sound. But, like, knowing where that all kind of stemmed from on this one uh, was pretty cool. And then just a couple of the points that stood out is just the musicianship. I don't, I maybe I just never paid attention or took for granted at the time, but there's some really cool shit going on between all of them that they do. Specifically, uh, I mean, the instruments themselves, the, the uh, guitar, bass, and drums, where there's just, there's some really slick shit in there that I just didn't catch. Maybe, I, I don't know. I've been listening to it more and more. And it just, a lot of stuff stood out to me more. So that was a, a big part of it, but. The cool. whole like feel of it, the like the wave, like it kind of like you ride a wave with this record, and it, it was fun. Yeah. Was what struck me, uh, so I I started listening to this out. This album always I'll always think about like my freshman, especially first semester freshman year of college, because that was like the blue album was out, um, and then I went to college. Like nobody was bigger than these guys when I was a freshman in college. Like that was fall '96, and these it was huge. 
But we used to listen to the first three records because they were the only three records at the time at all times. Like me and the dudes in my suite, like we would just sit around like ripping bong loads and listen to <laughs> these records. But when I would try to learn them on the guitar, uh, one of the things that struck me that I thought was really cool was it was like every song has like five or six riffs and they just arrange the riffs and then like rap over them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just like, man, that like Nick Hexum is just like a killer little like riff writer, you yeah. know? And then, and then finding a way to make them sound good together so that, and I think this gets to like what Jimbo was talking about with the, with the tempo changes and the syncopation is it's just like, You'll, it'll be a riff for like you know four measures, and then they'll just switch to a different riff, and like the vocal melody and the rap cadence might not change, but like the riff kind of and the drumming does change, and it, it's just like really, I, I just always really like that, and I, I, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of like I, I can write like riffs like that, like it's probably why like I'm like well I can write a riff, I can't write a song, but like I can write like little riffs, but probably because I, I like learned all three of those records like on the guitar like i know all the little riffs for all of this well riffs are an important thing and a lot of times i find with musicians and playing in bands that someone has like the riff sense and then someone else kind of takes it and builds the song around it where i don't want to say they're mutually exclusive but it's good to like have someone who can do that where it's, it's like, like, all right, here's a sweet riff and like, all right, we're just going to build a whole song well, around that. You got to have the peanut butter and you got to have the jelly. That's right. That's yeah. I think, I think Brian's right. I think there is definitely in a lot of situations. I know what situations I've been in people that are better at one or the other. And uh, right. often the riff writer is the guy that does not know how to put, line the riffs up in a song. And there's always someone else. Right. Going, hey, that'd be cool if you took that and, put that there and this yep. and this. I was often that guy. I wasn't yeah. necessarily the, the riff writer. Kinda. Yeah, I was the guy that just said, okay, here's how the bass line should go and here's how we, we glue this one together with that one and so on and so forth. And but and then, a- but somebody else in this was really good at saying, well, how do we get from this riff to this riff? There's going to be this awesome drum well, yeah. There's going to yeah, be Yeah, they this- write fills. The, they write they, killer they're, they're fills. Written. These things yeah. are literally decided upon. Yeah. It's not like you know, it's not like um, I'm going to play some fill here. No, it's these things are very much decided upon and done very, very tightly and and yeah. well executed. Very it feels, well executed. I mean, for a first record, it feels like a record made by guys who have been playing music together for a very long time. It does. It does. And um, so, Pete Dog, uh, before we go to break, uh, what uh, talk about this album? What do, what do you associate this album with? I love you mentioning your sweet, your freshman year at JMU. Um, you were still in high school, but you had some good times in the suite. Phenomenal times. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to this album, it was a good time. Um, so I was familiar with Grassroots and the self-titled album. And I remember going up in your suite and, um, you know, back in the day in the late 90s, you had a CD carousel. That had five I discs believe it was the it. mid-90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when a, one of the sweet guys was like, you know, I was I was moving a CD, putting a new CD in. He was like, there always has to be two 311 albums in that five CD changer, no matter what. Always. So long as you understand. And I was like, and I remember thinking to myself, well, there's only two albums, right? But I, you don't say that because you're trying to be like, cool. And, and 
this album came on in your suite, and it was like a bonus 311 album <laughs> that is even better than the albums that you already love. It, it, I just remember hearing it. I came home, bought it, and it it blew me away. I, I, I think it was their best album. Being a self-described 311 fanatic, it was like one of a big bonding point of Will and I because, you know, we love each other, but we hate each other. But we both love 311. So, you know, that makes it <laughs> even better. Yeah. But I mean, like, reflecting on it, you know, at the time, you know, Jeremy from Pearl Jam came out, you know, like September of 92. So, so when this came out, this was not a part of the alternative scene. This is not what the music industry wanted to play on the radio. There, there, was, there was nothing else. It did not fit with alternative rock radio. There was no way to get this music out. And so what, what's awesome to me about the album is that they, you know, they had something to say. Not, I mean, not to be cheesy, but they were, they were making the music for them, and they loved it all throughout the album. There's notes about, you know, stay positive and love your life. Like, there's a whole lot of, like, positive energy. It rocks. It's awesome to hear live. It's awesome to listen to this album. Um, and in, in the same interview, uh, Nick Hexum said that when they were touring for this, like, they were broke. They literally didn't have homes. They put all their crap in a storage locker and just lived on the road. And he said, we're going to build a fan base, one crowd, one show at a time. As well, they did. People, yeah. As soon as people hear this, we think they're going to love it. And, you know, we're going to devote years toward becoming successful. So it, it's awesome coming in in the self-titled album when they were very popular. But then coming back to the foundation, it, it, it's just, it's a phenomenal album. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, that's like that classic, like, well, it took us 10 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Over, over, dec over decades of success. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I feel like you still listen to it today, and it's still... Oh, it's still so it's good. Still but I'm awesome, biased. man. It's, yeah. Um, well, all right, uh, so... Nobody, nobody's, nobody's mentioned this, the Piccolo snare yet, so we'll have I to know, get But to we're going to get to that. Oh, we're we going to get to that. Hold on. <laughs> we will. When Integral we return, parts. we are going to talk about the Piccolo snare and every other uh, song on the record. So we will be right back. And we are back. Still talking about 311 Music. Now, guys, uh, there's no way for uh, Pete Dog or myself to talk about this objectively. So what I'd like to do... Let's just go track by track, and we'll talk about it anecdotally, and you guys can share notes and ob objective criticisms if you feel uh, like you'd like to. Um, track number one is called Welcome, and it starts out, Jimbo, with that piccolo snare that you're always talking about. It's the first seven things you hear on the record. <laughs> so, so, Jimbo, tell me the most prevalent example of a piccolo snare not related to 311 you know honestly fishbone um yeah. and, and then that's yeah. probably where cool. they got it from uh piccolo snare is a shallower snare um in other words the shell itself is shallow um it's not it's not as deep like a marching snare is very deep 
uh, your standard snare is somewhere in between, and a piccolo is uh, very, very shallow, the shell itself. And um, between the depth of the shell and the, your ability to tighten the snare as high the as tuning, you, Yeah, the tuning of it is very high and tight. Yeah, you can, you can tune it super high, and it gets that bang. I'll tell you what a great example is. XTC, poor skeleton on the album uh, uh, sk- uh, it's not skylarking it's oranges and lemons great great piccolo because it rings man it just rings um, and uh, this actually came probably I'm going to say a, a probably about the same year as uh, what, what album what year was this album 93. 93 93 yeah I think I think oranges and lemons was 91 or 92 yeah and and there's a there's a really I mean just crang I mean just like and I believe the drummer on that album was Prairie Prince I want to say. Interesting. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't but know. that's what a piccolo snare is. But I love the way this album starts. It just starts with a drum roll. He's down to the toms, and then it's just the, the bass and the guitar come in, and the bass is playing what would end up being the the heavy riff a little bit later in the guitar. And I feel like they do that a lot, where like. The bass will preface what the main riff of the song is going to be, and the guitar will play like a like a ska or kind of reggae thing over it during the quieter part of the song. And then when it gets heavy, they just kind of play in unison and start playing the riff. Um, but man, and then this song also has this. I just remember the first time I heard it, where they go into a breakdown, and then there's just like two or three counts, and then just a solo snare shot, and then a couple counts, and they break back into the song. And then the second time through, it's like a snare and a tom, and then it comes into it. But I, I just had never heard that before. Like, I, I just, this song to me, like the first time I heard it, it just, it, it, it just made it sound like you were like very aware that this record was not like a record that you had heard before. Right. The wall of sound is, is uh, and, and we've discussed this a lot. If you've, if you've listened to season one, we've talked about the wall <laughs> of sound a lot. Um, and on this on this record, it was them coming into their sound. I mean, they had it before, but I think that it kind of laid the groundwork to say, okay, this is what we're going to continue to do. This is what we're really good at. Let's continue to do it, and let's continue to be awesome at it. And uh, um, the fact that you have this really high, highly tuned snare um, over just uh, riffs, when we say riffs, it's not anybody strumming chords. Sometimes it is, but a lot of the times it's riff-based uh, rock, which is mm-hmm. um, you know the bass and the and the guitar basically playing, if not the same riff, a similar one, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, where it just creates this big uh, a creature. I like to think of a song as being a living entity that moves in a way, and you close your eyes and you listen to the song, and, you, and I imagine a creature that kind of is sort of or a machine that kind of like pushes in a direction and um i think these guys definitely have a very distinct and I, honestly i don't think anyone's ever since has really done what they do i mean there's been imitators but nobody really hit nails it the way they yeah do, you know yeah i would agree track number two is called freak out um and this is uh I almost kind of think of it as like a, a, a homage to Nevermind and Smells Like Teen Spirit where they, they play the riff like all the way through just like 
clean on the guitar by itself, and then the whole band just comes in and it gets real loud real fast. Um, it's one of my favorite songs to play on the guitar. Like during the chorus, the the bass is playing this riff, but the guitar is just playing like these distorted open chords, and it yeah. it just rings out. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a, it's a fabulous track, um, which is. I'm just going to say that about all of them. So if anybody wants to say something, you know, <laughs> well, more intelligent, feel free. <laughs> well, and, and what I love about the first two tracks together is that they give each member of the band the opportunity to be highlighted. You know, like, because Nick has his own distinctive rhymes and styling. S.A. Martinez has his own thing. Peanut plays the bass. But then, you know... It's subdued. They allow the the piccolo snare. The it, it has a very distinctive sound, and they're all like working together in their own way. It like keeps it fresh. Like I would it, go. I mean, I would extend that to the kind of what they do. Like that's what, uh, what caught me too. It like every they, it all has room for what they do and what they're good at, and to be able to put that all together and not get in the way of each other. But to highlight it is is pretty impressive. I think that's that's um, uh, sort of the the crux of being a success as a band is allowing the space um, for. I mean, just like just like you know you know like a basketball team. You, you know, so occasionally you do have a guy that is so important to a team that he makes you know as you know most of the he scores the most in the game. But, you know, the reality is without the rest of the players, it, it, you know, it really wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be able to do it on his own. It's true. It's <laughs> a good analogy. Oh, that's a good, Jimbo with the rare sports hat. And yeah, the, right. the players <laughs> so scores, scores <laughs> the, most, the most points I was, out I of any of the other players on about. the team. He moves like a body <laughs> snatcher situation. Yeah. What's going on over in your house the right fuck now? am I? Is basketball, which of course I can play and I know well. Yeah, I know well. Have you seen me jump? I'm an um, enthusiast. I, I will say on, on Freak Out, <laughs> will, will and I, well, my mom's selling her home, but we live in the middle of nowhere. We went to school 30 minutes away. And so wow. uh, my senior year, I was driving to school with another uh, harbor down the street who, it was his first year. Uh, at, at our school so we're in the car every day for 30 minutes and he like loved alternative rock and I remember putting the CD on and I was like you have to listen to like 311 music and Freak Out was the first track that I put on and I remember like at the beginning when they're playing it and then it like rocked in and, like dun, 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 dun. like the look on his face he like looked over at me like this is awesome like it, it's quintessential 311 like, yeah. yeah, it is, it's, and it was. This was so in their in their early tours. This was their show opener for a long time. This I mean, it, the, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Even now, if they did it, it like yeah. it would still make perfect um, sense. I remember <laughs> listening to it and thinking that this is next level shit. This is and not this been has, done before. Yeah, this has one of the. There's a there's a moment in it towards the end where Sa comes in with his with his uh, vocals, and it's like, what uh, it's like. Dun-a, dun-a, and it's like what you were talking about, Jimbo, where it just goes like off grid. Mm -hmm. The whole band does for a second, and then it goes right back into it. Perfectly, and it's just—it's so tight. And it's like they had to have 
been playing that live in the studio, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, because that, yeah, that's yeah. just, it's all feel. Like, there's no... And this was their first record, so I'm sure they played all of it. Like, there was no, yeah. like, very few overdubs and, and stuff like that. And, and yeah, I know they I, had five, I, five singles, so I was scrolling down, and I was like, this had to have been one of them, right? And I was like, the first one. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jimbo. No, no, I was going to say, I, I think in any situation, um, you're going to, you're going to, uh, any band, regardless... Um, I mean, maybe not now because I mean, stuff is so postal service. We're we're emailing stuff back and forth, and we never get together in a room, and you know that sort yeah. of thing. But um, in studio, creating the the final product, anytime, most of the time, with a live band, you're gonna you're all gonna be playing together live. Okay. Um, and then what you're gonna do is go back in and overdub. Those are the first tracks right. of the well, scratch Well, they use all of those parts, but you get the like. Right. I guess in my what I would do is like you you lock in the groove. You get the yeah. the glue, the nuts and bolts. It's, you get the rhythm section. It's to get the you bass get the and drums, drums together in yeah. the bass. Yeah, and then you can and, and then you use it like the rest of it as a template. Yeah, and nice. I mean, oftentimes a lot of, you end up using the original, but. How many times do you think they had to like record? Because like the vocals are just so solid. Well, they, like, they, you always do the vocals polished, later, like, right? Like you do the well, the vocals that you hear on the album are not the ones they would sing like the first time through. I mean, they would go back and, no, and over no. I mean, vocals are always scratch, yeah. almost unless you're Frank Black. <laughs> that one's good, right? All right, I'm out. <laughs> it's true. Right? He he records completely live in the studio and never overdubs anything with the Catholic stuff. I, all right, well, maybe. Oh, and actually, 311 mentions Frank Black. In they what song do, is that? They do. That's, uh, it's called Mr. Play Parchico, play Parcheesi. Yeah. Yeah. It's off of uh, the Blue yeah. Album. All right, so we'll move on to track three. Uh, this one's called Visit. This has like a, for me, this is like a real cool drum breakdown in it where it almost has like a spoon man kind of vibe too. Like there's like a, this this weird kind of thing going on up yeah, he does in the high register. Yeah, he does things. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, he's hitting the bell and the cymbals. Wow. Yeah, uh, and then the outro is fantastic because it's it's a pretty heavy song, but then the outro is like super light. It like yeah, you know it comes it comes pretty. into this and it's like this reggae outro. Actually, when they play it live, they do the whole song and then the guitar tech hands Nick a guitar. At the end, so he can play the reggae part, and Tim can kind of like noodle over it when they play it live. Cool, which is interesting. That's cool. Jam bandish. Jam bandish. Yeah. Bandish. Jim band. Jam bandish. Jim, nice to meet you. Jim bandish. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was Badger. badger. It's, it's Badger band jambish. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like this one's a little bit different than the other songs on the album. I feel like. Visit has like a little bit of a different feel. It you does. I, 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 it's like they had Unity, their demo, and like a, a bunch of the bangers were on that one. This is one of the, the ones in the scene. You know, it's yeah. slightly different than some of their earlier stuff. This one also comes in heavy. There's no, uh, it just starts. Bah, 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 bah. Like it, it comes in super heavy from the jump. Uh, the next song is called Paradise. This is this was definitely my favorite song of theirs for a long time. It might still be. It's a good yeah. It's this a good is one. Uh, this one has like a lot of different sections, and it has some of I, I assume that jazz stuff that you were talking about earlier. Like there's a little bit more of that, and it it has that uh, what is it? Is it an octave where you, where you got the A string and then the 
E A D G. The G string, two frets up, and you're just playing like that, those octaves on the guitar, like during the intro. Like, mm -hmm. dun, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. So it's uh, like an octave, yeah. And then it, it, yeah, it's like those two chord, like the two note octave, yeah. like chord thing. Um, it has, it has the that. West Montgomery, if you will. Is that what it's called? Well, no, but that's what he always said. He sold like that. He's kind of famous uh, for these. Yeah, that's true. Uh, oh. George Benson did it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this one. This has a an interesting lyric. Like that it's uh, during the there's like a bridge, and he's and it's a it's a lyric that comes up. It, it, up until this album, in all of their stuff, it was it, it had come up in in songs, and it's, he says, uh, "If you don't like it, well, I hope you I do." I hope you do. But for the longest time, I thought because I fucking do. Yeah, he, I thought yeah. it was like, "If you don't like it, well, I fucking do," <laughs> which I thought was even better. But uh, right, Wait, but it turns he, out is I was that right. not what he says. No, it's the official lyric is, "I hope you I do. hope you do." Um, but, oh wow! Because I heard the same. Yeah, thing. yeah. I did, I, not, just, yeah I, I did not hear that. Maybe way. they were okay. trying to get it down to a PG rating at a certain it's, point, yeah, so they it's actually possible. wrote it. In I don't know. I mean, the last way. chance Maybe. is the, the, the last song is called "Fuck the Bullshit." I was going to say so, they, they drop a lot of <laughs> okay, so they don't care. Right, yeah. so I, don't, um, I don't think they but, were trying uh, to church it up. I just remember like just being like seventeen the first time I heard that, and, and like when you're a seventeen year old dude, like there's just nothing better than like. Well, you don't like it well i fucking do yeah. <laughs> right right that's why i was like oh that's fucking badass like yeah fuck you i like it um oh <laughs> uh, uh, the next song is called unity this is a very riff based song it has three main riffs three main parts and i just remember during the like swing i'm doing my thing i get a real like spirit in the sky vibe Oh, that part of the song. oh, yeah. When I read that, I was <laughs> I like, that. I, I never would have thought about it, but when I, I saw that, I was like, oh, that's right. awesome. Yeah, I, I always cool. have. This song is so much fun to play on the guitar. The The main verse riff is like this pull-off hammer-on thing, and it's super fast. So it's like, it's really fun to play. But um, What's like that guy's song. name, the spiritless guy? Norm, Norman? E Edgar New Neubauer? Edgar no, Neubauer? Norman Greenbaum. Norman Greenbaum. Edgar Who the hell Wait, is Edgar Neubauer? Edgar Neubauer was uh, the the fake or the dead voter from The Simpsons when <laughs> Sideshow Bob. <ran> <laughs> That's even Full better. Um, uh, but this so Unity also has during the last time through so everything it's like riff one, riff two, riff three, riff one, riff two, riff three, riff one, and there's like a little bridge in between. But for the last time through. They do. They like to add like a little spice, like a little like a weird drum thing or a guitar thing, at, like a pause, and then come back into it. So, again, it's just like that tightness that that, that they have. I remember it. Um, my freshman year of school, you know, nineteen ninety eight, like the winter the winter break. You know, when you go back home, one of my best friends, Doug. Um, this is right when CDs were burnable, and he was like, yeah, this guy I went to high school with has, like, the 311 Unity album. And I was like, oh, can you give me, can you give me a copy? And I like, gave him a blank CD. Like, you know, you're going to give me one, I give it oh, to yeah. you in the jewel cassette. And he was like, oh, it wouldn't work. And then, like, another time I gave it to him, and it didn't work again. And I was doing the research for this, and it was like, only a thousand original copies of this CD exist. 
So it's oh, wow. like, yeah, my friend has it. You know, like, yeah, so he like, was clearly bull. Yeah, like this is interestingly uh, his one of his fraternity brothers, his friend Doug, whose parents' house we stayed at when we went when to the three eleven day show in Memphis in two thousand six. Yeah. Um, how, how far away is Memphis from where you guys are? Uh, we flew. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, it's kind of, that's a good way. It's like too hard no concept. It's that far. <laughs> I mean, like a good ten-hour drive. I would have to assume. It's ten, right? Yeah, ten, twelve hours. So oh, okay, we flew. so it's not that close. Okay, but um, I'd also like to say Unity is the name of the track. Unity was the original name of the group, and it is has been the name of their summer tour for I don't know ten years. It's like the you know 2019 Unity summer tour. Like it's. So that's a theme. This is a theme with them, and, and it's always been, uh, when they first got big, people said that uh, the 11th letter of the alphabet is K, and so they're 311, so they were like K, K, like, they're, you know, that was like a rumor that went around. Oh, and, they, and they answered it with, like, it's all printed in the lyric sheets. Like, we have been saying over and over and over and over, like, we are down for the unity we're down for right. the brotherhood of all people. Right. Like, which is, <laughs> you know, that, like their music is just so positive and that is the, the main message that they have always put out. That's the other thing I really appreciate about them is yeah. that, you know, I mean, you just, you listen to a record and you walk away just feeling good. Right. You do. There's they seem like fun guys. Like, yeah. where like, like these Upbeat people were having fun dudes. making this record. Now... Upbeat. The other thing that a lot of, especially the early music is about, is uh, track six is called Hydroponic, and they talk a lot about weed. I love this track. <laughs> I mean, maybe probably because That's of that. That's why they're so in love with the humanity. Yeah. But I, 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 this is maybe my favorite track. I just like how it flows. Like, it's just, and how lyrically it's, like, kind of chopped. I don't even know. It's hard to it's, explain. Well, I like yeah, this one a lot. It's weird. Like, there are, there are definitely songs where you can feel like, uh, Nick and S.A. maybe kind of wrote together or at least well, it's like kind they're of talking like, to each other through gonna, songs. Yeah. But then, like ta- you know what I mean? And then there are some songs where you're like, they just kind of wrote their verses independent of each other and... Right. But they work. Right. Uh, but this one... Actually, S.A., I don't even... No, he... Does S.A. have a, a verse on this song? Pete? He does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He does yeah. like the... I am what I eat the earth. No, like that's the, Nick. That's Nick. I am what oh, I is eat that Nick? straight up earth. Yeah. And then, oh, no. Okay. Well, he comes in like right after that, though. There's like a line. Kingdom coming through. But anyway, um, yeah, this song's about weed. Whenever you see them, they always dedicate it to all of the stoners in the house. Uh, yeah. And, and this is where the album starts the slowdown. Yeah. So. This, right. Yeah. And this is track six. So if this were a record or a tape, this would be the last song on the first side. Right. Or and, the first one on the last uh, second side. Well, no, because Unity bleeds into it. Uh, the okay, end of yep. Unity, like, bleeds into it. It kicks into this yeah. distortion. And then this is, it, it's a distorted bass. Like, it's a big bass riff that, with distortion to start the song. Um, Which I love. But, yeah. It's, it's, it's good. That's good. Uh, and he also says conjunction, junction, what's your function? Yes. Our our uh, <laughs> our, our local uh, famous producer here in town would call that hate base. <laughs> it's yes, a good term. Base. Anytime I was in the studio with him and I was like playing bass, he'd like, you want to hear it as hate base? I'm like, sure, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Put a hate, throw some distortion. Like, hit the hate, hate base. base. <laughs> like distortion. 
and uh, Hydroponic, they they released an album, Hydroponic, and I, yeah. I was looking it up. Yeah. And um, you could pick it up on tour, but one of the other places that they sold it at the time was Joe Voda's Drum City, which was Chad Sexton's mother's drum shop. So oh, that's I cool. wonder if that's how he there got into go. the Piccolo Snare. He had possibly on the inside. Yeah. because now oh, in LA you can go to Chad Sexton's Drum City. He has his own drum shop in LA. Mm -hmm. He runs in the family. Yep. Yeah. And he, he was in that. the uh, he was definitely in the marching court like. However, you can be involved in music in high school and play drums. He was in that, in all of those things. Right. Okay, but how cool is that? What does your mom do? Eh, she owns a drum shop. <laughs> she owns a drum yeah. shop. I guess you're like, yeah. oh, come on, goddamn. For it. the I, so in the in the '90s, I was on their uh, forum, like on their website, the 311 fan forum. You had to create an account. It was like a, you know, before there were chat. It was a chat room. What back when those were like things, but um. It was administrated by Peanut's mom. She was like the admin on it. What's <laughs> even more awesome is you make an album about smoking weed and sell it at your mom's <laughs> <laughs> drum shop. I guess. <laughs> different, different growing different, up different, experience than, than yeah, mine. Whole different, that whole different that, mom. Yeah, so, you know, that's that's, that's very foreign to me. West <laughs> Coast <laughs> mentality. Yeah. Uh, so track, you know. Uh, track number seven is called My Stony Baby. Um, it's like, I mean, I, I guess it's a slow jam. Um, I like it. It's like a, a groove. It's a groove. Like a, like a, yeah, and there's no, uh, so there's no distorted guitar on it. Um, this is the first time, and, and they, they do this a lot in their catalog, but uh, the first time where they have the, the two vocalists doing different words and melodies at the same time. Yeah. And it, it works really well because uh, Nick has kind of a, a deeper voice and then Essay's voice is actually really high. His register is really high. And, and so you can, you can pick out cleanly, whichever one you want to listen to, you can pick it out. They don't, they don't step on each other. And well, that's, that's a great like example that. of like how you can put that together and still be able to, to clearly and... and almost simultaneously like split your brain to listen to both of it yeah, yeah. because because it, of the way they do it that's often going to be on the producer or the, at least the engineer on how things are panned or the mixer rather. right um True. and i mean there's that's a tricky thing to make it work and have everything because a lot of times you're going to hear these songs in situations where you're not hearing i mean the only time we ever hear an accurate stereo uh uh um is when we're listening to uh, uh, headphones yeah, or yeah, yeah. you're literally sitting in front of monitors. If you're in a restaurant or a bar or a club or yeah, you'll anywhere else, that it's, it's kind of like forced mono, you know? It should be. I mean, right. it, and so if you can still hear that separation, they've done their job well. And it, and it, it may be um, EQing, it may be effects, it could be a lot of different things. Um, uh, but panning is, is, is really kind of well, right. That, easy. Because that actually does put a lot of a lot more pressure on that person in that position to be like, oh, shit, they're singing two different things at the same time. How the Absolutely. fuck do I do that? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. And then what they do on these, in both of those instances, it's like the second half of the verse kind of, and they finish with the same line. Like on the first time through, they've both finished oh, right. by saying, do, I can't right? say it any better at the same time. And the second one, it goes to a pause, and it's like, uh, and then a kiss. And then it goes into the chorus, so it's kind of cool. Like, it's like they meander 
melodically into these different places yeah, and then yeah. end at the same place. That's really yeah. cool. That's Which awesome. is really, it's really neat. And uh, it's fun. If, to give a shout out to my, my buddy Doug again, this was the first instance of like an email signature. And I know like in corporate world, we all have email signatures. Had never seen one before. Right. <laughs> 1998, mind you, like the beginning of email, but Doug set up under his, the fish who keeps on swimming is the first to chill upstream. Oh, so nice. whenever he sent you an email, it was like, you know, ASCII, like the, the dashes and underneath yep. it, that quote. And I was like, right. I was like, I don't know who this dude is, but I like him. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, this I'm guy's like, like next level. The, the next song was called Nick's Hex, and it's kind of an interesting song. They go they get into, like, some Run DMC-style uh, line sharing. Like, instead of each person yeah. having a verse, they, they trade back and forth in the verse. Um, and occasionally overlap. And occasionally yeah. overlap. And it's, it's, a little, it's more sing-songy and less rappy. Um, yeah. And uh, there's a live version. There's a version on the live album... Uh, where they, they kind of jam out. At the end, they kind of jam out. Like, it's different from the album. Like, this is more to the, the kind of jam band stuff that you were talking about, Jimbo. And this song lends itself to it. This is a, a feel song, if you will. Like, it's very flowy. And I feel like they could, playing it live, like, they could speed it up or slow it down. You kind of would notice, but wouldn't notice. Like, it, it kind of lends itself to that. Um. This one, well, this is kind of part of the record where, I think you even said it before, where if you were to have like a vinyl and side A, side B, the the second half of this record is very B side, but in like the best way. Because like, I feel like it's shit that like... That's a good way to put it. Yep. They were having like, they were just doing cool shit that they wanted to do. They were having fun. And like, record people might be like, I don't know, this might, you know, this doesn't have to make the record but it did and it's good that it did like i, I like how they kind of play into that yeah. i wonder if, if they had to fight if a for record it. label were to cut a track this would be the one that they'd be like i think this one yeah, and yeah. Pro- i mean this one and probably the last one to me i guess would be the two they'd be like no but yeah but they're, they're there and i i like that like i think it's it's treated kind of more like a true b-side of a record where all right, we're going to just have fun. We're going to do some shit that, you know, you know, maybe I mean, we it's called Nick never Hex. Done. He's just messing around a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that about it. The next song is called Plain, and this song has, the soft part of it is, like, swing. It's, like, with the big, like, toms. Do, 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 do. And um, the, it's, I mean, it's like a... Yeah, it, it's this weird kind of swingy, funky, high part on the guitar, and I, this, I mean, this is a, this is a hot track. I really, it is a hot track. I really dig this one. Yeah. And uh, this was one of the songs that, uh, when I was trying to get my friends into this band, and I'd play this album for them, this, this seemed to be the one that would get the most traction the first time through, and I think it is just because it has, like, kind of that big band feel, and it just, it just sounds familiar, but then... It's like, well, you know, the, you know, what was it, Glenn Miller? Like, he, he never he never broke down in the middle like this one. Like, ba 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 you know, like, it, right, it's, right, it gets right, real yeah. heavy real fast. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I like this one a lot. Yeah. It okay. also has my favorite 
line from the album when he says, life's a bowl of punch, punch. go ahead and spike it. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I noticed, because I was moving some stuff around, uh, my fraternity paddle, I wrote, life's a bowl of punch, go ahead and spike it. On the back of it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, 18-year-old Peter, this is the most significant quote of my life. <laughs> this is what I want to embody. So, can, for, for those who don't know in the audience, myself included, Tell us about the fraternity paddle. <laughs> so, a boil a punch. Go ahead and spike it. So a fraternity paddle, Jimbo, is in a fraternity situation, they're what they call family trees. And so uh -huh. you'll have, when you're pledging, you will be chosen by a big brother, and, and then you will be in that person's family tree. And so part of your pledging process will be to make a paddle for your big brother. And it's supposed to say something about them. It usually has their name and your name on it. And it says something about them or something about your relationship with them. And it's kind of like you don't actually get paddled with it. And then they That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Are there spankings? But it's it's more, it's a, it's a wall decoration. But you don't get a paddle until you get a little brother. So typically, unless your fraternity is really, really big, like you'll pledge your freshman year, but you might not get a little brother until your junior or your senior year. So See, I, I went like to a boarding school in uh, in in uh, northern Florida, and um, I'm so and, sorry. <laughs> when, when you when you when you when you got in trouble, you had options. You could and do the hours, or you could take the wax. So they God. had corporal punishment. You could. Geez, I don't want to hear any more about whacking in boarding schools. No, so <laughs> literally, they would God. spank you with a wooden fucking thing. Oh. So when I never did it, I always took the hours. I go out because all that was is I could go out in the orange groves and work for the day, and like smoke weed all day. Yeah, and that's I, way that's better a, than getting. Power. And we would we would eat yeah. oranges and we'd throw oranges at each other, and we would just get high as a kite and, and, and just eat oranges and the throw them at each other. Who are these the psychopaths <laughs> like being like, I'll take the paddling? <laughs> like oh, I mean, the people who the grew up in fucking that you might not graduate because like, you're missing something important. Um. The next track, uh, so the last three tracks on this album, I mean, this album goes out like a freaking, oh, like a I love, cyclone. I love yes. the ramp yeah. back up to the end of this. I yeah. kind of agree so with good. that, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and I feel like playing it with the swing and, and stuff, it kind of primes you up because it, it, it brings up the tempo without really like, like punching you in the face. And then these last right. three songs are just hard as hell. Uh, number 10 is called Feel So Good. There's a sweet bass solo in it, which dude, that bass solo is pretty lit, man. Yeah. It's pretty lit, and you, you don't, you did not hear a lot of that back then. Like, it's like no. to be like, yeah, we're gonna put a bass solo on on, yeah. on the album. The people be like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Again, where why it's like a classic like B side, like where yeah. it's like, yeah, bass solos they don't play so hot right now. Yet, dude, listen to that thing. That dude was crushing that slap bass, man. Yeah, yeah. What, what's even? <laughs> I, I bought a bass guitar later in life. Because Peanut is like one of my role models, and I remember him <laughs> saying, "Like, never use a pick, never buy a pick. I, like, don't believe in it." There's a lot, of, yeah, you, yeah. A lot of bass players are one side of the fence or the other on that one. Yeah, Jimbo, I, I'm sure I, you know a lot about that. Well, I, I was always, I always had that attitude until I was in a certain band where I decided, in order to keep up with the riffs that we were doing, I was going to stop this. Which um, those who can't see what I'm doing, right. I'm moving my fingers in a way, <laughs> and, and, this, and I was gonna start doing this, and I started I started using a pick just for that band, and at that time I um, also picked up a five string for one band, and I was still using my fingers for the five string, 
uh, and then because it was all feel and, and also the low B. And then um, the other band, I was doing drop D with a four string, and that just seemed to make sense. So I, I've done both. But, um, yeah, I, I, I want to say in general I'm a purist. I see the appeal of pick playing for certain styles, punk. I use it more tonally than stylistically. Like, yeah. I, I think it has a, it yields a different tone. Yeah, you certainly you can't really just um, go back and forth, like palm the pick and start playing with your fingers and go back and forth without adjusting your tone. Yeah, it sounds too different. You're going to get too much ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a thing. Uh, uh, suddenly, you have a hard plastic thing striking your string instead of the your meat meat right. sticks uh, sticking it's out of your hand. Um, Pete, I think we. I feel like we uh, tangented or took a tangent. Yeah, on your, sorry, that was sorry, a big tangent. your topic yeah, there. So, okay. so when you're listening to to Peanut and this bass solo, is it apparent that he's not using a pick? Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. I mean, it's slap. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's slap. It's like the way again. It's the tone. Like I, at this point, I can kind of, I can, I feel like I'd be pretty good at it if you were like, is this a picked bass or, 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 or you know, a, a finger style bass? And I think I could probably guess it like nine out of ten times. Yeah. Um, and this for sure is all finger style. Yeah. Uh, the next track's uh, it's called "Do You Write," and uh, this has like a. Jimbo, you were talking about this over the break. It has like an interesting rhythm to it. It's the Happy Slam Dance song. It's the Happy Slam Dance song. That's how they yeah. introduce it. But Wait, which, yeah, song, song which, which one is it? Song song kind of this rules. is the uh, I'm free as I stare at the sea. Like I said oh, yeah, before, yeah. I'll yeah. say one So song. I think it's actually a samba, officially. Yeah. Well, it has a lot of parts, and that, that one part, yeah. But in general, this is the... Right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah, the uh, the one part. Yeah, there's a couple parts, but the one part it definitely goes into the. I feel like this is like mm -hmm. an encore song, you know, because the yeah. sing singability with it. Yeah. So yeah, and it has like a it has like a vocal kind of thing in the bridge with the no buzzack, no buzzack. It like it kind of goes into this like dance holly kind of thing in the. Yeah, middle, you have like, that like jump up and down yeah. moment where it's like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're um, they're big on that jump up and down moment. They are. Well, they're just you know, well, the, there's they're good at songs. bringing it and they're good at maintaining yeah. it. Invisit. Yeah. Invisit, they say. Down, jump up and down because that's the 311 style. Right. They're getting yeah. you ready for it. <laughs> they're getting you ready for it. Oh, um, they'll even, yeah, I, they'll I, even all I can about think it. about is that cruise ship and like the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that might the, be trouble right there. <laughs> we had to get you like, on the, um, three, you know, 311 did a cruise where they played a show every day, Jimbo. Yeah, he's I know that. That's what I'm talking about. I've been looking at it for years wanting to go. Wanting to be able to afford this damn thing, like and that's—I wasn't joking uh, earlier when I said we should down is all save two thousand dollars a piece and go on this fucking cruise. The shrimp You're wrong. I'm the in. Um, and then the last song, because uh, we're going a bit long, but the last song is called "Fat Chance," uh, colloquially known as "Fuck the Bullshit." And I mean, how do you go out like? This is a banger to oh, go out. Oh yeah, of. it's a great you know? way. Just yeah. like and it just fucking throw the match like boom. Like. And it just kind of <laughs> like it starts with like on the cymbals and it's like the that thing where the guitar like he's like strums the chord and then slowly brings the volume knob up and then it comes with this big drum roll and then just I mean it, it comes in hard and goes out harder. Yeah, yeah. And and it just it ends. I mean the last lines yeah. are like. Fuck the bullshit, it's time to throw down. And then he says, like, 
knocking them down, 90s, 90s all, all that. All that the <laughs> That's the end of the thing. <laughs> I, remember, I think like this, it, this is the closest they come to rap rock on this on, yeah. entire record. Yeah. And I, well, I remember, I, like, as a teenager, though, like, kicking the teeth, a condescending frown. It's like, yeah. fuck the bullshit, it's time to throw. It's like, yeah, that's what I feel in my heart. Yes! <laughs> 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 Uh, I just want to be me and listen to Weezer. So <laughs> guys, fuck all you guys. Sorry, uh, I, I got a little animated there. I, I, I want to be from the Midwest and have angst. Uh, but the end, I mean, yeah. it's just like they they kind of like come into this thing where they you feel like the song's stopping, and then it goes back into like a thing, and the guitar gets real high, and he starts, and then oh, it's just it's so good. It's yeah. It, Amazing ending. I, I don't know what you... D- I feel like it's the last song on the album because I don't know what you play after that. I, you don't. <laughs> you, know, you know when you listen to a record and there's a skip track? You're like, ah, yeah. I like this whole album except for that one. This album doesn't have that. This album has none of that. It yeah. doesn't. It has none it of that. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's yeah. a good, like like I said, you kind of ride the wave. Like It yeah. has its, its peaks and valleys. And I, I, and like, I mean, you know, not in the sense of like quality, just in the sense of mood. It, it makes you know. sense in the context of itself. Yeah. 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 And it's a banger front to back. Yeah. <sighs> All Fuck right. Up. Well, that is the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we hope that we have inspired you to spend a little more time actively listening to music, specifically 311 music. Uh, if you're feeling frisky, you can stay tuned after this for a section we call the lounge where we get a little loose, talk about this day in music history and a Billboard top 10 from back in the day. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, and rate and review us, and share us on your social media. You can subscribe to the show on all of the major podcast platforms, including Spotify. If you search for Music Mostly Pod on Spotify, you'll find the show. But also, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll find our user profile. That is where you can find the playlist for all the shows. You can follow our user profile as well as the show. It's a little convoluted, and for that, we apologize. If it makes you feel better... Spotify bought Anchor, so they are now truly our overlords. They don't sponsor us at all, and we just mention them like a thousand times. Anyway, check out our <laughs> website at musicmostlypod.com. You can find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at musicmostlypod. You can hit us up at musicmostlypod at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. For Jimbo, Brian, and Pete Dog, this is Will what signing up? off. We'll see you in the lounge in just a minute. Welcome to the lounge, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, this is the section of the show where we like to get a little loose. Every once in a while, Jimbo may or may not air some grievances. Uh, We talk about this day in music history. Talk about a top ten list. Uh, Today, as we record this, it is April 3rd. Uh, In 1964, the Beach Boys recorded their next single, I Get Around, which became their first U.S. number one. Uh, I like that song. I yeah. mean, I it starts with, starts with like the it? acapella. Like, awesome. Just the harmony. I mean, it's just Brian Wilson's harmony. I mean, the harmony. Well, that's, I think this this was like the beginning when it, like, you could tell Brian Wilson was kind of steering it a little bit more, like more pre-pet sounds. Yeah, this was definitely like not the like surf rock. And it wasn't even surf rock that it did, but like just the pop rock. Right. Like this I, I was. I always think of Look Who's Talking. Because when, oh, when the sperm good. are swimming. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is the, that's the opening of the movie, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that yeah, movie. That's funny. Man. Love, hey, I love Luke Who's Talking. It's a great film. Uh, George, George Siegel just passed away. He was in that. Yeah. Who? Uh, George Siegel. Oh, I thought he said John Travolta. I was like, what? Oh, no, he's still no, alive he's and a Scientologist. Alive. He's a Scientologist. He'll live <laughs> We won't mention him. What? Uh, right. George Siegel, uh, what was the TV show? Was it Just Shoot Me? It was Just Shoot Me, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. he was also in, uh, more recently, The Goldbergs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah! yeah. Who did show. he play in Look Who's Talking? I don't, I don't... He, he was uh, the... He was the boss of Kirstie Alley. Chubby Ch- Charles? The father. He was the father. Yes, the he, he's the actual, yeah. The actual father? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, that guy's great. Yeah, yeah. he's really funny. He's not funny. a nice he's guy Great comedic actor, yeah. He's not in that movie, but... No, not in that movie, but in uh, general, he, he seems like a pretty... <laughs> Every kid. time I say divorce, she loses five pounds. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> she's bulimic. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. See, that joke would not fly today. <laughs> it's like... Who is that, like Andrew Dice world. Clay? No, that was from the movie. Yeah. That was, oh, it is from the movie. Yeah. It sounds like a fucking... It, it was a different like time, Brian. Different time. Uh, in uh, 1971, yeah. Janis Joplin was uh, at number one in the U.S. charts with the posthumously released Pearl. Features the number one hit, Me and Bobby McGee, written by Chris Christopherson and Fred Foster, on which she played mm-hmm. acoustic guitar. Her version of that song is so good. I think of uh, several things just popped in my head. Um, the re, uh, the re, the, the new version of uh, what do you call it? A Star is Born, of course. The original was Chris Christopherson. Uh, but the other thing I was thinking about is I've been watching Thirty Rock recently, and I'm right at the moment oh, when so good when, when she's trying to be uh, Jenny Joplin, Jackie Joplin, <laughs> Frank and Twofer are like filling her head full of all this false information. Oh my about god! Yeah, she's like. No, it was it's Alf so that brilliant. ate cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the one where she hooks up with Frank because. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's like, uh, don't even begin. You, don't tell me you're turned down. He's like, I don't know. You're chomping down to kill her. You're about to eat a cat. And she's like, oh. And he's like, I got a thing for damaged goods. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the one that's embarrassed. She's like, you yeah. shouldn't be embarrassed. <laughs> It's me. Should be the next morning, he's like, okay, will you please just be cool about this? You got a lot of irons and a lot of fires around. Yeah, oh, that's my it. God. Uh, and later on, Susan Sarandon oh, is like his school teacher. That oh, that's affair. like a whole other Oh, term. my God. Oh, so good. What is with those hats? Um, <laughs> in, in 1977... ABBA were at number one on the UK singles chart with their fifth number one, Knowing Me, Knowing You. Top ten hit in over 15 countries. I don't know that Damn. one. Damn. Okay, I know it very well, and I want to tell you something. It's a great song. How does and it I love sound? ABBA so much. Can knowing you sing it me, for me? Knowing You. Ba, 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 ba. I can't remember the actual lyrics, but it's a great song. Mm. I mean, and I love all ABBA, ABBA songs more are than I love myself. One way or another. Yeah. You ABBA's do love like ABBA. I- and I well, really and like I myself, so you know how much I love Apple. Is a big fan of Apple. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I will go as far to say because I even do it. I, I will just talk shit about Abba just because it's fun to, in Easy. the sense that Easy like, target. yeah, but like, goddamn, dude, like Abba is amazing. 
Absolutely and amazing. I just feel like if no, more no, people, I, like Napa, I just don't know that one. If more people would just take a chance on them, I feel like they could I, really. Oh, like, yeah, you are chance, funny, Will. <laughs> I, I got it. Take a chance, 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 take a chance. Oh, my friend so Fernando told me. I do. What's oh your fr- okay? So okay, what's your favorite Abba song, Jimbo? What's uh, your favorite Abba song? Okay, um, I was already prepared to Chicka go first. Chicka, how know. did you know that? Chicka yeah, we all know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody Anyone who knows Jimbo knows this shit. I have no idea what that song is about, but man, in the movie of my life, that's going to be the opening and ending credits. And it's going to be a moment where I'm like walking like down an alley t- towards my certain death, and that's going to be the song. Brian, that's actually, that would be good. That would be good. Be an Brian, what's yours? What's your favorite? Abba song. Uh, a chance, I mean, chance, I don't know the deep chance. cuts that well, so I, I'm going to go with Fernando. Okay. B-Dog, what's your favorite Abba song? Dancing Queen? Oh, I knew it. I was just, I was just gonna one. say, just say Dancing Queen, dude. Let what about uh, take a take a chance? That's a great one. I, well, what's uh, the one that Madonna <laughs> covered uh, a couple of years ago? <laughs> she didn't cover, oh, yeah. but she sampled that. I don't know. I think it's um, "Give Me, Give Me, Give Me a Man After Midnight." That's give me, yep. give me, give me a man after midnight. Oh, come on. <laughs> Nice. Why? Why are uh, Why are Swedish people so musically talented? Uh, have you seen the Eurovision exactly? Song Contest movie that came out <laughs> yeah, last yeah. year with Will Ferrell? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it so much. I mean, that was, I actually it was Iceland it. and not Sweden, but but it was Iceland. Iceland. But, you know, I mean, it still it's a society the, where they're like folk. herd immunity. We don't, give, like, we don't care what it costs. Why does, why does half We're this country <laughs> still believe in elves? Yeah, but you know, but also the other awesome thing that comes out of those countries, like Denmark, Sweden, is metal is still happening. Like metal, oh, yeah. like we knew it back yeah. in the day, is still oh, yeah. happening in a very big way. In Nor, uh, last podcast on the left did a, a, I think it was a two or three part uh, on Norwegian death metal, and it's. It's amazing. Yeah. There's, there's like um, that band uh, Turbo Negro. Do you know this band? No. Uh, Norwegian black metal. Excuse me, not death metal. Norwegian black it, this metal. This is not really black yeah. metal. It's, it's, I mean, even though it's called Turbo Negro, it's not. But it's, 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 it's sort of, um, I don't know. It sounds very 80s in its design with a, with a hint of punk. Interesting. I mean, I'm sold, I guess. It, I always enjoy that kind of style. Uh, also in 1977, Frank Sinatra scored his fourth UK number one album with Portrait of Sinatra, 40 Songs from the Life of a Man, which is a greatest hits record, which I feel like it's like, do you really get to call it a number one record when it's a greatest hits record with 40 tracks? Who the fuck is not going to buy a 40-track greatest hits record yeah. in 1977? Like a, is that like a double album? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... But, uh... That's like a, like a triple. That's a triple. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Eight it's tracks. a quad how, shot. How, how many is that? It's a box <laughs> five eight tracks. Good lord. I need a bigger that's, box for my car. That's like a Saturday Night Live commercial. In our in our five eight track collection. <laughs> yeah, you're like our our twelve cassette installment. <laughs> You'll receive two tracks per cassette over the course yeah. of six months. <laughs> I can you know, for another hundred fifty dollars, my, my cousin can put a three eight track changer in your car. <laughs> uh, I realized I realized uh, in the past couple of years, um, having um, doing weddings, right? 
I did a Murray's, Murray's Cheese, not Murray's. Can't remember what it's called. There's a, there's like a cheese farm here somewhere, and we did a I wedding there, and it was um, the silo truck was the the caterer. Oh so yeah. yeah. Oh god, they do a good job. Yeah, they do a hell of a job. Nice. It was it was actually Naomi was like their the server. She was great. Uh-huh. That's much fun. Um, and uh, they had like the stage above the bar where we played, but the the wedding couple wanted to hear all this Frank Sinatra, and like I realized, um. I mean, how do you dance that, Jimbo? Doesn't matter. I nailed it, dude. I fucking yeah. killed the Sinatra songs. Did and you I, play uh, The Way You Look Tonight? Yes. Yeah. Lovely. At, at a wedding? Like, Come on, you got it. I, I was going to say, does isn't that kind of like a prerequisite of any wedding? Like, um, okay, did you, did, the Lady is that, a Tramp? I did, did um, I did the one about uh, <laughs> uh, Fly, fly the la- Me to the, the Lady moon. is a Tramp. <laughs> yeah, the Lady is a Tramp. Inappropriate for weddings. But you know, the blow people, on another guy's dice. Everybody right. knows. Come on, Jimbo. <laughs> okay, you know what? The people have asked for the weirdest things for their weddings. All right, I'm gonna give you an example. Yeah, cover with him. Walk this way. Why would you want that played at your wedding? It's about a kid losing his virginity in the backseat of like some Plymouth or something. So, like this, I have a good one. I have a good one because could my, be worse. My wife. <laughs> My the wife. Lovely, Hold on. My, I want to see where he's going with this. Lovely, amazing woman she is. Um, wanted our wedding song to be uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Oh, yeah. That's not a good song. Meatloaf. Yeah. And and I, I had I was like, wait a second. I'm like, this song is literally about... Car sex. You you wanting to, to, to hook up with someone so badly that you will agree to marry them and then marry them and then want to kill yourself your entire life because you hate that person so badly. I'm like, this, is, this doesn't yeah. work. That no, no, doesn't work. Wait, uh, so, so how's it going, Brian? Uh, <laughs> it's going great over here, guys. How are things? Um, funny, funny we should mention ABBA because uh, at Brian's wedding, um, I was a groomsman. And um, the, one thing that, the one thing you, that I did added Did you make a to speech? The, uh, no, no, no. I got very drunk. Um <laughs> That's uh, not what I asked. I could not speak. <laughs> not as drunk as my girlfriend. I had to like clean up the bathroom the next morning. Oh, oh. God, it was bad. Um, but at the, we, we were all at, um, like, he asked us like, what do, what do you want the DJ to play, right? So I wanted to hear Dancing Queen. I'm like, Let's put on some ABBA, dude, right? So the moment that I wanted to be doing the Dancing Queen like slow spin in the middle of the dance floor, I was talking to Brian's. Um, wife's uh, uh, late father and I couldn't get away. I heard the song playing and I just couldn't get away at that moment. And I was like, oh man, you're killing me I right felt now. really bad for you because like I, 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 I was even like, made it a point. I, when, I know you when, paid like, for the wedding, dude. You keep telling me, but... No, every time, but he was like, is there anything specific? And I was like, if you could throw some ABBA in there, I feel like that would be great. <laughs> I got a guy who really likes ABBA. I just wanted and the that, slow spin, just like that. And, with the arms out. Yeah, know. that was... <laughs> Only seventeen. Uh, and you missed your moment. You missed your oh, moment. God, I wish I would. Brian, Brian made me wear a dark blue tux, um, to ah, which this day is the only time Jimbo I've worn does not look in my good entire at life, unless I was wearing a Halloween police uniform. Jimbo looked amazing, by the way. I looked to, awesome. Just to clarify, you did. I wish the tux was black. Well. Uh, you look good. I mean, you're, you're not, good blue. You're not the enough, only one. It looks black. <laughs> I had a, I don't even know I had a pink bow tie and a, and a pink oh. um, 
pocket square. God, I saw the pocket square. It's right here somewhere. We got to keep those. And I think I have Anders as well. Prove it. <laughs> uh, in 1987, one of the greatest jazz drummers of all time, Buddy Rich, died at age 69 due to complications caused by a brain tumor. Oh, oh, I know. Work with acts including Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, Tommy Dorsey, Dizzy Gillespie, Oscar Peterson, Rush's Neil Peart organized a pair of 90s tribute albums uh, for him. I mean... When was he born? How old was he when he passed? He was 69. So you tell me how old he was. That's too early. He was 69. Or when he was born. <laughs> what, what year did he die? 87. I can do math. And we're just going to run right through these because in 2003, Edwin Starr uh, died in his home in Nottingham, England. In 60, uh, He was 61 years old. Edwin Starr, war! Huh! Good God! Good God! Yeah. What is it good for? Man, which hell of a band. Which he performs in an absolutely amazing episode of Boston Legal. Uh, he didn't perform, but it, it was like it was like uh, a relative of his was like suing for the right to play this. So it was it was amazing. It's a great song. Very nice. I, I mean, mean, you yeah, want to talk about like I don't know if he had a lot of hits, but like that is oh, a one hit wonder. Actually, you know, I listened to uh, uh, no, 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 no. His the song was called War, not the band War. Uh, right, War is like Lowrider, yeah. the band. Oh, but, uh, I was got confused too because I was I, I listened to um, Eric Burden, and the uh, White Man's Burden, right? Mm-hmm. Which was War and Eric Burden. I forgot to mention that. That's one no. of the things I listened to this week. You lost me. Never mind. Confused. Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry, team. I've gone. Sorry, team. Off. So sorry. In 2006, <laughs> uh, an area in Washington, D.C., formerly called Watts Branch Park, was officially rededicated as Marvin Gaye Park on what would have been his 67th birthday. That's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Dude, that poor bastard died in the fucked up way yeah yeah you know what song i keep hearing at the liquor store is um um i think it's called inner city blues it's 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 this awesome oh yeah it has that cool yeah it makes me want to holler the way you do that thing makes me want to holler i keep hearing that great song yeah so good uh birthdays uh 1939 marvin gay was born today Everybody knows who he is. I love him. What's your favorite Marvin Gaye song? I'm gonna go with. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go with "Sexual Healing." I mean, come on. Um, I, it's a toss-up between that and the one that or, starts out. Let's get. I'm sorry. I misspoke. Let's get it on. Uh, that's. I mean. I mean, it's that's the obvious choice. I like the one that's um boom, the one that uh ho- homeboy uh sampled and. Then denied. Oh yeah, it was in a barbershop. That's a great song. Great song. Oh, this is a great song. Um, I have to note that sexual healing is not should not necessarily be like a top forty radio song. Like the song we like the radio station we listen to at the bank plays this song really regularly, and it's really awkward. I literally had it happen the other day where I'm like interacting with this very old sweet woman. And this song is playing, and I'm like, there's something so inappropriate about this right now that I have to hear this song while 
it's, exchanging it's, words with this it, sweet little old lady and sexual healing is played. I'm like, nah, it's know. even worse that I'm getting a boner right now. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm fully erect is really awkward. Uh, too messing, as they call it. Uh, in 1941, Leon Russell was born. Uh, I do love Singer, Leon songwriter, multi instrumentalist, worked with Phil Spector, Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, Glenn Campbell. <sighs> Played so, on Mr. I got some, can I say some things? I well hold on. And he oh, uh, oh. he passed on November thirteenth, twenty sixteen, seventy four years old. But it was his birthday. Mm. Yes, now you may say some things. So the song A Song for You, um, Leon Russell originally wrote and recorded in the most famous version, the, the quintessential version. Uh, it's it's been done by um, uh, Ray Charles. And mm -hmm. several others, and I performed it a bunch of times live. But the quintessential uh, version is uh, Donny Hathaway. Um, it should go on this playlist, by the way, because it's a great song. Okay, it's called it's, "A Song for You" by Donny. A Hathaway. song for you by Donny Hathaway. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good song. Leon Russell wrote it, and it is stunning piece of music. Yeah, it's very good. I didn't know Leon Russell wrote that song. Though. Yeah, he originally recorded it too. And his well, his version sucks because he had a bad voice. <laughs> Well, that's probably why that I only know the Donny Hathaway version. Then. As a songwriter, though, it is amaze balls. It's like he's he's great, and and this song is mm. next level shit. In 1947, Emmy Lou Harris was born. Remember her? Oh, oh yeah, big fan, you, big fan. You're waiting for somebody Grammys. to chime in. I was yeah, waiting for somebody yeah, to say something. Say, How could you not? 14. Yeah. Hello. Uh, including induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame, worked with numerous artists, including Graham Parsons, Bob Dylan, John Denver, Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, Roy Orbison, The Band, Mark Knopfler, Albert Lee, Delbert oh, McClinton, Nelson. Guy Clark, Willie Nelson, Neil Young, Steve Earle, and Ryan Adams. <sighs> yeah, she's all over. a list. That is a list. Yeah. 14 Grammys. That's a lot of Grammys. That is... And Jimbo, I'm not counting, but I'm going to say 14 more than you have. Yeah, I, I believe that is correct. <laughs> uh, 13 and a half? I have zero. There was one time. I, I've never been acknowledged, close. actually, as a musician. The no Academy one has ever can't no one has handle ever. me. <laughs> well, you could just, you know, you could just say you're ahead yet. of the curve and you boycott it. You know, do like, like the weekend kind of thing where you're like... I'm boycotting. You could, a, you could just say you did that like I, back. I'm a niche. Well, I, I've sound. done a lot of stuff under different names, so <laughs> there's that. That's true. Actually, uh, I just I just checked, and the Badger has won a number of Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> like, we didn't go far enough through the thread because I, I believe that I made it into Roger the Badger because you're like Roger that, and I'm like, well, how about Roger the Badger? That sounds good. I could be that. I, I did. I couldn't work it in. Okay. <laughs> we tried. I still love oh. 1953, David Robinson of the Cars. Not the basketball player. No, no, no. Not not ad, not the Admiral. <laughs> this this David Robinson of the Cars actually loves garbage in his neighborhood. I don't know why. I don't know why. The band uh, or the film? <laughs> <laughs> that's a basketball joke, Jimbo. So basketball is a sport. Oh, see, that's, I, mean, I made see, a reference earlier. Don't think that I know things. It's my oh, favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. <laughs> <laughs> is that like Sugar Hill Gang? What is that? Uh, I believe that's Curtis, Curtis, Blow. Curtis Blow. Yeah. That is Curtis oh, Blow. Yeah, yeah, Curtis Blow. Eight million stories. My man. 
That's Curtis I saw with Curtis two Blow S's. live Valentine's Day. I'm going to say 1986 or 87. What? At Disney World. And I, and <laughs> Disney I, Valentine's Day at, at Disney, Disney World. World. Curtis Blow, Valentine's Jeez. Day. Who are you? I know. I know. What a we guy. learned how to sell out for the money. Uh, <laughs> and then in 1963, Karen Woodward. Singer with British female pop group Banana Rama. Yeah, yeah, I hear their, their their hit single almost every day too. Yep. Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer. It's a, from the Karate Kid. And oh, I mean, and and he, you know, and not from the Karate Kid, but also in like the Karate Kid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Manic Monday or. You know, uh, that, was, that was that um, was that was the Bengals. Yeah, no, they did uh, Venus. Venus. Yeah, that was it. Actually, uh, Manic Monday was a Prince song. Yeah, he wrote that. Prince, Prince wrote that right. song. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I like that song. Yeah. Damn. That's why I like Prince so much. And by the way, uh, sometimes it does snow in April. It so does. It will. As, 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 as it's been proven. It's also, also a Prince song. Uh, in 1973, The Grateful Dead played the Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Which is why they call it the Boston Garden. Uh, <laughs> Makes what? sense. And uh, oh, Jimbo! Oh, there he is. Um, we're gonna get into a top ten, but I I need a bio break, so we'll be right back, and then we'll do the top ten. All right, so we're gonna talk about uh, the Billboard top ten from April seventeenth, nineteen ninety three. And the reason we're going to talk about it is because this is the week that 311's single, Do You Right, peaked at number 27 on the alternative airplay chart, which was the best any one of their songs from this album did. So, <clears throat> on April 17, 1993, the number one single in America was Informer by Snow. You know my dad, it's say I go blam. Licky, boom, boom, down. You know, oh, that yeah. Was, that was off down. his album. Yeah. Leave 12 Inches of Snow. <laughs> that was the name That's of the record. <laughs> and, uh, and it was number one for like seven weeks. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, my God. Was, what was. Which is seven is, weeks too long. Well, that doesn't even make sense. Well, well, a lot of things, Brian, in this world will not make sense. Yeah. Do you know he was from Toronto? Make sense. Uh, he, I love that. What? I love you. I love that he was Canadian. Yeah, he was Canadian. Actually, they're so polite. They're so polite. Mm-hmm. Can I, I'm just going to go ahead and just I, I, I just want to say this in general I won't go into specifics But this list This whole list in 19, April 17th of 1993 Makes no fucking sense I know. whatsoever uh, <laughs> so, so number I'm two I'm very curious to keep going Number two uh, was Freak Me by Silk And this is a <sighs> This is a painted dropper I mean, I mean this is, there, there's, uh, How does it go? Let me lick you up and down Till you say stop. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, you know, consent. It's a thing. But uh, this was so. Uh, okay. this I used to work. <laughs> abort <laughs> mission. Abort idea. mission. Okay, Kimber, buy the dog a drink first. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, oh God. This is a song that I, I so I used to work with this guy at at, uh, at the Lost Dog. And uh, I won't say his name, but he was from down south. And we were talking about this song, and he just was like, 
<laughs> he was like, well, if you can't get no pussy to this song, then you can't get no pussy. <laughs> that was what he had to say about this song. Um, are we in the lounge? Because that's very suggestive. That is suggestive, and luckily we are. Okay, good. Uh, so so do, you, do you have a noun, a non-lounge-worthy comment for that, Mr. Badger? Uh, I would just say that using the word pussy uh, repeatedly might be questionable with the, you know, 8 to 12 crowd. Pussy, um, pussy, pussy, That's true. Of which I do tag do, this show as explicit, so they shouldn't be listening. How many of our listeners are in the 8 to 12 range? I don't know. I don't know, Pete. How old are you? <laughs> um Number three, now, <laughs> number three is uh, nothing but a G thing by Dr. Dre. Oh yeah, this is great. Good times, good times. One, two, three, into the fourth. Is that a, is that a, a George Clinton theme? Mm. No, that's no, uh, a, wanna, you talked about that in the covers yeah, episode. It's, I want to do. do something freaky to you. Yeah, yeah, that's a number of things actually. That's yeah. like six different things going yeah. on in that song. That's Did you say sticks? Good song. Sticks. Dennis DeYoung was Dennis there. Dennis DeYoung was involved. Yeah. Tommy Shaw, all <laughs> oh, the way. Dr. Dre is actually Dennis DeYoung. <laughs> he's, <Dr>. <laughs> <laughs> he's the musical theater part of Sticks. Was, I, was, just, uh, I was Mr. Roboto until I became Dr. Dre. No more than I was having a, a I, I have like a, a fun dance party with my children. Periodically in the evening. Excellent. And I, I had That's Isley awesome. Brothers were playing Shout. You know, Shout, a little yeah. bit louder yeah. now. It's the Buffalo Bills was, theme song. It was on um, Spotify. <laughs> so the next song was Footsteps in the Dark, which is the It Was a Good Day. Yeah. Ice Cube. Oh, yeah, sure. The, uh, like, had no idea it was a cover. And by the way, the Isley Brothers song is freaking amazing like yeah awesome i was like mm-hmm. <laughs> we were dancing around and i was like i th- this is like, phenomenal like i have so much more respect for the isley brothers not that i didn't respect them before but like wow that's a phenomenal song well i will say about the isley brothers um they were really good at covering songs and they made several songs way bigger than they would have been otherwise summer breeze by seals and crofts and yeah, also, yeah. Um, Todd Rundgren's Hello, It's Me. Oh, damn, so that's right. Those, those are huge, huge, huge hits that they had that were not their songs. And they had been already on the charts for one reason or another. But Both great songs. Done well by the people who did them, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic stuff. And then years later, I can't remember if it's, uh, I think it's Erica Badu... Andre two three, Andre three thousand and Erica Andre Badu. Twenty three hundred. I appreciate the Andre one two three. Three. Was it, I was going to the thousands. Was it Andre two thousand? Was it Andre was one thousand? No. Oh. It was. Um, like they also they kind of did. Um, Hello, it's me. Also, I, I, you know what? It's Beyonce. I think it's Beyonce. It's not Erica Badu at all. I'm an asshole, but I know Andre three thousands on it because. That's the part I had to sing. Um, I'm going to stop talking about this right now. Yeah, I think you should. Okay. Right. Number four is <laughs> I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston. That was off the Bodyguard soundtrack. Uh, uh, was it uh, yeah. Kevin Costner? 
don't remember. I don't remember that song. Oh, okay. I remember the the one. It's it's a good. I mean, it's it's Whitney Houston. I mean, she just yeah, and the Bodyguard soundtrack was it was all. I mean, I don't know. It was a lot of her. I without looking. She she contributed several tracks and she uh, went for it because that was her big. Well, it's the big yeah uh, feature um, role and and uh, it, it's it's I mean it's good man it's Whitney it is prime Whitney Houston. Somebody yeah. somebody wrote that um, bodyguard song though. Um, that uh, what Dolly, no, Dolly Parton wrote. wrote yeah, no, the did she? Love you. Yeah. Dolly yeah. Dolly wrote that. Yeah, she wrote that for Porter Wagner. With yeah yeah. I'm gonna say there was but, a guy involved. Yeah. It's like both that and the movie right. Boomerang. You could argue the soundtracks were more successful than the films. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting. That's an interesting topic right there. Boomerang. No <laughs> soundtracks that were more successful. <laughs> John, John Witherspoon. Yeah, uh, so you're gonna speak, oh, yeah, you're gonna speak so to like all nine people that saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We could have all the podcasts because we could fucking third, third, like, oh, in their mom's basement. Was, right? I mean, it was Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, David Allen Greer, John Witherspoon, Halle Berry, Robin Gibbons. Spencer's I, aunt. Robin Gibbons. Yeah. Grace Jones. Grace Jones, thank you. I can't think of her name. I guess I, I, I know only Spencer's aunt. <laughs> it's so good. The movie is amazing. I, it's actually, I actually haven't seen it. Sorry. But, uh. I will remedy that. I will come back if As I'm invited again huge and let you know what I think of so the movie. There's a moment in, there's a moment in Boomerang. Episode. There's a moment in Boomerang when the parents disappear for a hot second. It's John Witherspoon <laughs> yeah. and I don't know the actress's name. I do not like, know the actress's name. They're having a dinner. They're, they're David and, Allen Greer's parents. Okay. In the, movie, so, in the film. Oh, man. Yeah. I gotta fucking watch this again. They disappear into the bathroom for a bit. Yeah. And when they come back, it's very clear that they just fucked in the back. No, no, no. <laughs> so, so hold on. Let me, back you up. Let me back you up. Because uh, they, <laughs> David Allen Greer goes to Eddie Murphy and he's like, hey, my parents are hitting it in your bathroom. And Eddie Murphy goes, your parents are smoking a joint in my bathroom? And he goes, no, my parents are having sex in your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then John Witherspoon comes with his coat inside out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. The mushrooms, you got to no, support no, me. You guys coordinate. No, wait. This is a good question. Brian and Jimbo, which would you prefer? (laughs) Your parents smoking a joint or having sex? Parents smoking a joint or having sex. Oh, absolutely smoking a joint. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I've I've 100% smoked weed with my mom. There's no question. Uh, (laughs) So what was that? What, number six? (laughs) What do we got on this list? We are on number seven. We're on number five. Number five is Don't Walk Away by Jade. That is kind of like a, that's like kind of a new Jack Swingy number. I barely remember that. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good song. Uh, Number six is Love Is by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight. And Brian McKnight's involvement makes me think that it is a slow jam. Yeah. Big on the slow jams. Can't be. I don't remember this one. And, 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 or, uh, like animated Disney film <laughs> theme song. <laughs> so wait a minute, weren't there two Vanessa Williams? Because there was the um, play, yeah. there was a, the Miss America there's, that was a. Well, there's Vanessa Williams mom. and then there's Vanessa L. Williams. This okay. is just Vanessa Williams. I'm trying to think and of which one this was. I believe she was the playmate. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is the uh, Save the Best for Last, Vanessa Williams. 
Oh, I uh, remember that song. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that was such a good track. And, and Brian McKnight. This was Brian McKnight was right. Like there was a point, long about 1993, where Peebo Bryson handed the baton to Brian McKnight, yeah, like for, yes. like male sure. vocalist of Disney film theme song Please. Uh, duties. Just to hear the name Peebo Bryson. I mean, like, <laughs> that was Bryson. the man's name, Peebo. It still Bryson. is. Presumably. I know, and it's like, come on. Like, is that, it sounds a little made up, doesn't it? That it's to a you? Bit. Come on. A little bit. It's, Peebo it's like what, Bryson. It's like what you would name a panda at a zoo. It's like, a, yeah. It's like a bunch of syllables thrown together. It's not really a words or, like, names. Oh, jeez. Okay, Leave Peebo yeah. alone. <laughs> I love him, by the way. Yeah, who doesn't? His dad was like, you're going to have to make it on talent. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to name you Peebo. Come here, come here Peebo. I'm not going to name you Sue. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Johnny Cash actually wrote that song after that happened about that. I'm going to name you. <laughs> not Peekaboo. How fun would that be if he's, he was like, and if I have a son, I'm going to name him. Bill, the friend, or Peebo, any damn thing. <laughs> any damn <laughs> It backfired. Damn you, Jackie Cash. Peebo. Uh, oh, all right. Oh, God, uh, you guys are fun. Uh, uh, <laughs> the next track is uh, Cats in the Cradle by Ugly Kid Joe. I don't know if you remember that Why cover. This Wait a minute, what? They did a cover of it? Is it the same song? Are you serious, Are Clark? you kidding? I did not know that. I have lived a very sheltered life. I, I have. I did not know that. Really, Gats yeah. I mean, yeah. you can go cool. listen to it. You're not going to feel better afterwards. You're not. No. You're uh, going to want to take a shower for about a week. It, it, this, it, was, uh, yeah. this was off that, that of. Um, this was off fair. of their uh, their hit. There's a follow up. Uh, America's least wanted. No, was it on that same album? Oh yeah, I bought the album. Had so. This. That was it. That was what I had. Did you it, and five you, other very ashamed Americans bought that what's, record. I, <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm guilty. Not, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> what's no. the one that had tell I me, hate everything about you? Tell me he was Canadian. Why do you keep picking at the Canadian? Go ahead, Brian. What's wrong with you? Oh, God. Um, anyway, Ugly Kid Joe, I, I, it's, I'm guilty of owning. That was one of the first three. Three CDs I ever yeah, owned. Which I bought is it perfectly in about 1992. I think it or, or whenever that record came out that he had that song. I bought it at a pawn shop. Yeah, oh no, I bought it new. You, I paid full retail. I, I did listen to the podcast episode about Our Lady Peace, but um, apparently it's written in the Canadian law that if you're a radio station there, you have to play a certain percentage of songs by. Canadian yeah. The tragically hip just filled that void, is what I assume. <laughs> it's actually the law is written that you must play a certain number of songs by the crash test dummies. That's yeah, it. I believe that. That's that's the the I do you not believe. Play, uh, or other baritone mm, pop songsters. I do not believe that. Oh, I think I just coined a, a, a word, so songster. Like, one out of every six songs must be crash test dummies. That's right. Well, it also has to be Levine the one song. or Nickelback. You, you can pick. You can pick. <laughs> Give me the crash test dummies. I know where my vote's going. Actually, uh, if Nickelback, I'm 100% honest, I'll, I will take Avril Levine every time. But, uh, uh, I'm what, have to or what agree was the song that. from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Brian, 
Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Brian Adams. He's Brian Adams. Adams. You can yeah. have him too. You can I like, pick him. I, I, I like Brian Adams. I do. He comes up. He comes up on this show. All right. Okay, okay keep uh, talking. <laughs> number the number seven, eight, number track. Single number eight that week is Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. Oh, oh yeah. Speaking this of jam bands. They just did yeah. They just did a YouTube thing where they played this and uh, something else. I actually uh, sure riveting. I reference <laughs> the Spin Doctors fine. a lot. Left-handed bass player. It was, it was fine. It was. You don't see those. It, it was that, fine. That's not a thing. It was like he's well, a unicorn. To be fair to them, it was like every other fucking COVID live thing where you're just like, eh. It's not even that that it was bad. It's just it's just COVID, and I'm over it. Like I'm, no, I'm over no. It. I've yeah. seen some really good stuff. I have seen some good stuff, and I've seen some. You know, it's fine. Not so good. Stuff. Yeah, I hear you. Actually, I'd like to bring up the Spin Doctors and Arrested Development in this weird period between like '80s music and grunge. Arrested Development, the band or the, the show? The, no, the band. Okay. The band. I was assuming. Where, yes. where they, like, they Thank you for making the distinction. They had a bunch of hits. Yeah. And and three. They they were good. I actually like <laughs> both group bands. Three, Your three brother just hits. counted. I saw him counting. He went, well, three. Three. <laughs> three. That's three more. I'm sorry. For those, of, three. for those of you keeping score at home, that is, that is 14 more Grammys and three more hits than The Badger. <laughs> the Badger. The Badger is sadly lacking in that environment. I, I do apologize for not delighting you folks over the years. Can we make a, we got to make like a, like a trading card, like a sports card for The Badger with those stats. All right. This has gone too far. I, I'm an, I should not be made fun of. I'm an actual human being with feelings and a face in the front of my head. Zero. Wow. Zero. The, yeah. stat, the statute is just zero hits, zero Grammys. Yeah, well, you know, someday, man. Man, I'm ready to go. But make it so there's like years like like yeah. 87 to like 94 zero zeros. Hey, you know, how awkward were you, were you, are you going to feel when no, I'm 55 years it. old? I got it. And I it's fucking the same, nail it with a hit. It's the same time period where you, the badger <sighs> peaked. The 1990 to 1992. <laughs> well, right. those uh, were not sorry, too mean. I was a kept man. I was a... Oh, um, right. Oh, oh, Jesus sides. Christ, superstar. <laughs> you know, Pete, I gotta say, your your addition to the show is in, as, as delightful as it is insulting. And I wish I had the wherewithal to fire back at you right now, but I do not. I'm trying half trying to hold back, half trying to not ruin an episode by being a no, douchebag. Was, I love you. Was, I love you. I love you. It was a weird oh, time period, man. Andre Agassi had long hair, pastel colors. Oh, my colors, God. You don't pink, know how I was, I was much thinner than I got. I got confused for him all the time. People were like, oh, my God, Andre Agassi. You guys saw you that cannon commercial. I'm like, oh, no, that wasn't me. I, was, uh, I wasn't a tennis pro or an awesome guy. <laughs> Drug addict on the streets. I'm not talking about the badger oh. now. I'm talking about the badger then. I know that's what I'm oh. saying as well. I'm good here. Oh God. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I hope you don't mind if I clean my glasses. Oh my God. All right. All right. All right. Okay. I cried into my glasses. That's why I have to clean them. I cried with laughter. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Track number nine was "I'm So Into You" by SWV, and 
Oh yeah, not, this song. I'm not, this no, no, I'm not gonna lie to If you want to hear voice, man. yeah, sisters oh, with a, voices. Song. And if you want to hear I some just some great uh, '90s Harmonies. female was harmony. That, was that Sisso Def? Like, was that like ATL? I'm not sure. I'm not like, sure what the that, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, on, I'll do some recount. But if you want to hear some just some amazing like just female vocalists, uh, SWV underrated. Uh, I mean, they, it's they had hits, but they're just really good, really really good female vocal vocal group. Uh, so you should go check them out. Uh, and well, number I'm, 10. I'm sorry that it's so exhausting to like hold this thing together, man. I gotta no, tell you just, you're doing I'm a great job. From, I'm exhausted from laughing so hard. I know. Um, I'm like out of breath from laughing. <laughs> uh, and then number 10 is uh, Comforter by Shy, which is the, uh, I want to say their third track. What? Their third he single. Had multiple tracks? Well, they they were also a vocal group. The early 90s and were Shy. big for the vocal groups. Yeah. Sure yeah. was. Um, but they, this was their third uh, single after. Uh, what was like if I ever fall in love again? And then, and then, baby, I'm yours. They had uh, that was a. It's amazing they had three out of that. Yeah, Comforter was the name of the album, if I'm not mistaken. And it's amazing they had uh, multiple hits. Yeah, in that album. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's like it. Nineties. You guys got anything else to say? Oh, I have so much I need to say, man. All right, All right. I'm, I'm just, just gonna um, I'm gonna stop you for just a hot second. So that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Uh, until we meet again, always, always, always be better and get a victory every day. We'll see you next time around. Take it easy.